It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis of MLBPipeline.com. And Pipeline.com's top 10 organizational rankings are out. We're going to go through them with a focus on the big three, we'll call them. But we'll count them down from 10 to number 1. And these top three really fresh off the presses. How do you guys feel? You're kind of done with the top 30 team rankings and everything. Chance to exhale a little bit? Uh, Jim wants to do 31 through 40, so we're going to let him. <laughs> yeah, We've we uh, no, got yeah. to do more than baseball, Merrick. I think we should go 31 to 40. Uh, I, I don't know if it's that much time to exhale. I mean, we're, we're Jonathan's running around spring training, and I will be shortly, although I think that's a little bit more enjoyable than, than yeah. writing 300 blurbs each. Um, but, the, you know, our, our updated draft rankings are not, not too far around the corner, so those have to be in the so back sh- of our minds a little bit. Yeah, and I actually yeah, I, yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. No, I was exciting. No, yeah, it, it is good just to uh, you send in that last blurb of the last team, and you can you do you, you can exhale. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff still going on, but just that it is an arduous task, and um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out for for the the other folks in the pipeline team on the production end who who don't get the the name recognition, but uh, put in you know just a, as much if not work. To make all that stuff look good, on the site. So yeah, it's it's a bear. And you didn't even but, name uh, their names, Jonathan. Like Come on. Uh, well, well, you know, we got uh, it's like the know, Oscars. They're, they're and running and in Willie the bottom. Blatt and Matt Castello. And don't forget Mike uh, Rosenbaum writing uh, ten teams yes. also. Yeah, I, I will absolutely. say, Jonathan, uh, we didn't have to write rewrite all thirty guys, but <laughs> but last summer. When uh, my, my degree of difficulty was increased by being in Dresden, Germany for a month, uh, with my, I had a son who was six studying abroad, and we had 15 teams each. It was nice to only have to do 10 teams instead of 15 this time around. Yes, yes, you're absolutely so, right. So kudos to Mike Rosenbaum for, for, for taking 10 teams off our hands and, and executing them very well. All right, and we'll throw in uh, Kyle Casey, Mark Levine, and Brian Mortensen, who were also yep. valuable on the video and um, putting all those videos out there. Certainly a lot of work goes into it. And, it's and what all about out Tim there. McMaster and I Matt just, Waymeyer voicing the, the, the videos like, for these guys? We just I, read. I feel like I feel like we're I feel like we're doing like an Oscars acceptance. I know, right? Speech. We should have just run them at the bottom of the screen yes. at the Oscars. Too. Yes. And then we're going to forget. <laughs> we're going to realize after we record this that we forgot somebody we shouldn't have. So we should we all thank that, our wives right now. Yeah, apologies out there. All right, let's get right into it then. I think we've uh, we've built up the drama <laughs> enough. <laughs> To, uh, so we'll, let's start at 10. I'm just going to go through the you know, 10 to 4 quickly, and, and you guys can give a thought on that list. But um, number 10 is the, is the Houston Astros. Um, obviously, they traded for Giles in the offseason, lost some prospects there. Number 9, the Brewers. Number 8, the Pirates. Number 7, the Phillies. Number 6, the Red Sox, who have kind of dropped off because of the Kimbrel trade, which lost a lot of prospects in that. And then number 5, the Twins. And number four, the Rockies. Jonathan, I'll start with you. That's a nice list, 10 through four. Anything stand out to you from those teams? Yeah, I mean, I think if you just uh, if you look at 
say, the Brewers and the Phillies, uh, just in terms of the the way that they've been able to restock uh, via trades. Um, you know, the Brewers are, are now really exciting uh, to me. Uh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I once did the Brewers list and sort of gave them up, and and they're a lot of fun to to write about. Um, you know, and and the Phillies, you know, maybe they missed the window in terms of trading some of the aging veterans, but. Uh, they made up for it, you know, with uh, with the Hamels trade and then the Giles trade, uh, you know, getting trading when guys had value to to help restock, and uh, you know, it should be a lot of fun to watch to see if those moves pay off in terms of those guys moving to the big leagues. How about you, Jim? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that jumps out, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you, you, you Jonathan discussing there the teams that have added a lot of talent uh, in the last year, I guess. The two that, that also stick out for me, just because of how much talent they've either promoted or traded and yet still have deep farm systems, are the Astros and the Red Sox. You mentioned the trade with the Phillies. Um, you know, they also made trade with the Brewers. made trades with both those teams that gave up Mark Appel, Domingo Santana, uh, Vincent Velasquez, Josh Hader, uh, Carlos Correa, and, and Lance McCullers got promoted to the big leagues. You know, Brett Phillips was in that Brewers trade uh, as well. Um, and yet they still have a very deep farm system. I, I think uh, you know, big help was last year's draft where they spent $19 million on the draft and, and got Alex Bregman and, and Kyle Tucker and, and Daz Cameron at the top of it. And then the Red Sox, likewise, I mean, they, they haven't played well the last two years, but they've promoted a ton of talent to the big leagues. Mookie Betts, Sandra Bogart's the most obvious guys, but also Jackie Bradley Jr., Henry Owens, Eduardo Rodriguez, Blake Swihart. And you throw in the, the trade, the Kimbrel trade, they, they cost them two top 100 prospects, Emmanuel Margot and Javier Guerra, and they still have an unbelievable farm system. I, I do think that they don't have the best farm system in baseball. I do think they have the best foursome of prospects in baseball. I don't think anybody else can touch the, the group of Yohan Moncada, Raphael Devers, Andrew Benintendi, and Anderson Espinosa that played together in low class A last year. Um, so I, I think it's a tribute to both those systems that as much talent as they've promoted and graduated, uh, still very, very deep systems. All right, so let's move on to the, the big three, guys, and we start at number three with the Texas Rangers. Uh, Jim, I know uh, last August you put out your top ten organizational rankings. I think the Rangers were number nine back then. Now big number three, number one in there is Joey Gallo. So, Jim, I'll start with you on this. Um, just let's talk about the, the big guys, you know, those top-of-the-line top prospects that help put the Rangers in the top three. You know, I, I just said that the – the Red Sox had the best foursome of prospects. Um, I think the Rangers are probably right behind them, and the Rangers probably have the best threesome of prospects in Joey Gallo, Lewis Brinson, and Omar Mazzara. Um, and, again, it's, it's, uh, for some reason, every team I'm talking about, it seems like they made a trade with the Phillies. You know, the, the Rangers gave up three top 100 prospects in that deal, and if they hadn't, they'd have eight guys on our top 100 list, which would be more than anybody. But, you know, Gallo, Brinson, Mazzara, very, very exciting. I mean, Joey Gallo, unquestionably best power-hitting prospect in the minors. You know, you could put his raw power up against anybody. I mean, between strength and bat speed and, and the fact that he's trying to swing, not just hit the ball over the fence, but out of the park every time he, he takes a cut. Uh, you know, he, he could hit the ball about as far as anyone, you know, Giancarlo Stanton included. You know, I think the key for him this year is twofold. One, he's got to make more consistent contact. Uh, that was evident in the big leagues and AAA last year. And, and two, you know, where are they going to wind up selling him in, you know, defensively? He's he's an okay third baseman. Adrian Beltre is a very good third baseman defensively. I don't think that's necessarily going to be fit this year. But, 
Even after Ian did, and they signed Ian Desmond, I still wonder if Joey Gallo might wind up on an outfield corner. Although, seeing that, you know, Nomar Mazar and Lewis Brinson are two more outfielders who aren't that far away. Brinson can play center. Mazar is more of a right fielder. You know, Brinson, you know, has, you know, about as good as all-around tools as just about anybody in the minor leagues. And, you know, people talk a lot about, oh, I probably wrote this along with a steep downhill plane, you know, needs to improve his plate discipline about 18 or 40 or 50 times writing up 300 prospects for these top 30 lists. And that's a lot easier said than done, but Brinson's done it. I mean, he, his strike zone discipline has gotten better, and you can look at the stats year after year after year, um, and it's all coming together for him. And, and Omar Mazzara, who would be the number one prospect in a lot of farm systems, is only the number three prospect in the Rangers system. And you're talking about a guy who – could you know be a, a above average to plus hitter for for average and power and has a right field arm so so it's a, it's a great group of three guys there at the top. You know we give overall grades along with individual grades, uh, and uh, you know so the 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 top three all got overall 60s, and then you've got Dylan Tate and Luis Ortiz, the two other top 100 guys, two right-handers. Tate, of course, from the 2015 draft, um, were overall 55s. And then you have the overall 50s, which is still you know a good overall grade. It, it says you know, the guy is going to be a, a solid big league regular. Uh, there are a total of 16 guys on the Rangers list who are 50 uh, or over. Um, you know that's a lot. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not comparing it to the other lists, um, but that's that's on the high end. If you can go that deep on the top 30 and have guys that you think are going to be big league regulars. Then I think that um, you know that I think you're doing something right, and and you know, and as Jim rightly pointed out, this is after uh, the guys that they traded away to the Phillies, all of whom, uh, well, Alfaro probably not, but I mean Nick Williams and, and Jake Thompson, the Phillies could contribute in 2016. Uh, so there were guys at the top of, of of the system already in terms of level. So. Uh, it's, it does speak volumes to how deep the system is that there are that many guys who uh, could very well be big league regulars in the future. And, that's and a- to be fair to Jonathan, Tim, that was almost a trick question because the Rangers have so many tools of young guys that once you get past the big three, I'm looking at the list that I wrote, prospects 4 through 16 on the list, Jonathan was just talking about all got 50 grades or better, or all have ETAs of 2017 in the future. So beyond the big three, we don't necessarily have clear lineup spots waiting for them. I think the two biggest con- con- contributions, uh, contributions, uh, nice pronunciation by me there, two biggest contributions from the farm system this year are a pair of relievers, Luke Jackson and Andrew Faulkner. Faulkner pitched well down the stretch for him. Luke Jackson's kind of a starter-turned-reliever. Um, those would be the two guys. Excellent. And, and I think what you guys mentioned about the guys they traded away is a perfect example of they have so much depth in that system that they traded away guys that maybe would have had to wait around in Texas, and they're going to go to Philly and maybe have spots for them right away. Right. It goes to show perfect use, I think, of a minor league system, being able to trade guys that, that are talented that maybe you don't have space for to get what you do need. And, of course, anybody could use Cole Hamels in their rotation. All right, so the Rangers are number three. Moving on to number two, when we mentioned the Rangers jump up from the list back in August, how about what the Atlanta Braves have done in the last year? And I know we've talked about it before, guys, but this is a team that that has really built up this system, and a lot of these guys are top-of-the-line guys now, top prospects. Um, obviously, Dansby Swanson, number one right now. Sean Newcomb, a pitcher, number two. And then they have Albies at number three as well. you got a lot of guys that are, that are going to be knocking on the door before not too long as that Braves team 
continues to try to build for the future. Jonathan, I'll start with you here on the Braves. Just this system, how far has it come in the last year? I, I don't think you can even quantify it completely. Uh, it's um, And it, it goes beyond just last year. You, know, you have to go back a, a little further. I think uh, you know of the 30 guys on this list, 16 were acquired via trade. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, I mean, it goes back to, you know, the, the trade they made, the Evan Gaddis trade, of, you know, that brought in Rio Ruiz, and you know, he had a disappointing year. Um, but it is it is amazing to see, you know, how many guys throughout the 30. But, I mean, the you know, top two out of three, top three out of four uh, are, are all guys that came via via trades during the off season, uh, the Angleton Simmons trade with the Angels, and, of course, the Shelby Miller trade with the, with the Diamondbacks that we've, probably have discussed ad nauseum uh, on here and elsewhere uh but uh you know top to bottom guys that they got via trades uh and this is a this is a deep list um there are a bunch of guys who are in the back part of this list who you know maybe are overall 45s right now who uh wouldn't surprise me at all if they jumped up uh, and, and became 50s uh, based on, on their performance. Lucas Herbert from the draft. Uh, and that's the thing. You know, we talk so much about the trades for for this organization, and rightfully so. Uh, they had a good draft last year, uh, especially if you look at the performance that Austin Riley had coming out. Uh, Colby Aller, they, they've gone back to the sort of high upside guys, uh, and that's what made their system so good uh, not that you know not that long ago. And that's what they were trying to return to by making all these trades and restocking. Jim, I was actually down in Orlando last week. I got to get out there, guys, and talk to some of these prospects. It was fun. But, uh, you know, we, I talked to Swanson. I talked to Newcomb. We talked to Albies. I also talked to Aaron Blair. Ten of their top 13 prospects in spring training with the big league club, which is fascinating. Um, and, it, and it, I guess, goes to show that these guys are, are certainly coming. So, Jim, I say that because talking to them all, they got it. They all brought up the fact that we have this young core and how cool this is, that's not necessarily the case with all teams, right? That, that all the prospects kind of get what they're kind of hopefully being a part of? No, I think that's true. I mean, I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but, you know, I think, you know, this last year maybe was a little different when you saw Luis Severino and Greg Bird come up and play roles on the Yankees. But, you know, in the Yankee system, I think a lot of times if you're a prospect over the, the last decade or so, you wondered, okay, am I ever going to get a shot, you know? You know, are they going to clear a spot for me? Because it seems like the Yankees are always bringing in free agents. So I think that's definitely a an atypical situation. But I mean, <laughs> that said, I, I would hope that would be obvious to those guys because it, it should be pretty apparent. I mean, there, there's just, I mean, the, the Braves are pretty much, you know, outside of Freddie Freeman, it seems like everybody must go, and they've cleared guys out and you know, bringing in every prospect they can get their hands on, and, and these guys are going to get opportunities in the next couple of years. I'll uh, leave this to either of you, but Albie is obviously a shortstop, Swanson a shortstop. Is it clear uh, if they end up both coming up to Atlanta, is it clear that Swanson would end up at short and Albie is at second, or is that something where there could be some competition? Uh, I don't think it's clear. No. Um, I, I think you know the, 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 it's a good problem to have because both of them can definitely play shortstop. It's not a, a question of, well, this guy – uh, has to be the shortstop, and this guy really is destined for second any, anyway. And I think the the added bonus for the Braves is that both of those guys are plus plus makeup guys. Uh, that if you told them to put on catch, you know, you, you know, if you told Dan Swanson we need you to catch, he'd probably do it. 
You know, so if you tell one, you go to one of them, well, we're, we want you to be in the big leagues, you know, with with each other, but you, whether it's Dansby, Swanson, or Ozzy Albies, you need to slide over and play second. There's not going to be any hesitation or grumbling or complaining. Oh, I'm a shortstop only. So, and whoever it is is going to end up being, a, you know, a, a gold glove caliber shortstop when all is said and done. You know, yeah, and I, so, I don't think it's determined either. I think from a tool standpoint, if you want to nitpick, Albies might have a little bit stronger arm. Um, they're, they're both, I think, at least solid defenders at shortstop. You know, I think what happens with these these things a lot of times is, you know, I think Swanson's going to get there first. I think Swanson will be their shortstop at some point in 2017. And I think how he performs at that level will probably determine what they do with Albies. Um, you know, that said, you know, not only do I, I think, like John, I'll follow up on Jonathan said, I think they'd both be willing to move. You know, Swanson has played second base. You know, people may not remember this, but that was kind of the question on Swanson going into last year's draft was how was he going to handle shortstop. He had a injury as a freshman at Vanderbilt and wound up not playing a whole lot, and they had a very good defensive shortstop named Vince Condi who wound up being the ninth-round pick of the of the Yankees a couple years ago. And when, they, when Vanderbilt won the national championship in 2014, Swanson was the second baseman, looked very good there, and Condi was the shortstop. And then Swanson moved over to short last year after Condi signed with New York. So he, he even has experience in position, too. But I, I don't think there, there's any definite answer there. Swanson will get the first opportunity to show what he could do, and, and then when Albies is ready, they'll have to make a decision. You guys have uh, always talked about Swanson's makeup, and it was interesting. Uh, I was down there for what's called photo day, for people that don't understand. It's when the players get in their uniform, and they go through the lines, and they get their picture taken a thousand times by all different media outlets. And, and it's a grind on the players. It's early in the morning. They have to be there at 5, 6 a.m. And a lot of the guys, you know, especially the veterans, but even the young guys, but we're at the end of the line. By the time they get there, not always in the best moods. Swanson, you could tell, was literally going around and keeping everybody's spirits up on photo day, which I thought fit perfectly into everything you guys have said about how he's such a team guy and everything. He even brought that on photo day, trying to keep everybody smiling for the cameras and everything moving sm smoothly. I thought it was, uh, it was pretty neat to see. Um, all right, so that's number two, the Atlanta Braves. Let's move on to your number one organization, according to MLBPipeline.com, and it's a team that's been near the top of these rankings for a few years now, but the, the Dodgers are number one. Um, we know about Corey Seager. We know about Julio Urias. There's also a lot of pitching right behind Urias, isn't there, Jim? There is, and there's a lot of all kinds of talent. I mean, our next three prospects on the list are Jose De Leon, who, who led the minors in strikeouts per nine innings last year, Grant Holmes, who was first-round pick a couple years ago, uh, Frankie Montas, who came over, in the Todd Frazier trade from the White Sox, uh, we can, you know, and, and you know he might want to be in a reliever in the long run, but he's got a tremendous power arm. You know, those are our five Dodgers after Seager and Urias on the top 100, and I, I know we can't go back and, and redo the list, but you know, I, I know Jonathan voted for Alex Verdugo to be on the top 100 prospect list. Um, I actually have him seventh on the list behind Cody Bellinger. I think if I was re-voting today, I might put both of those guys on the top 100. I think I might also make a case for Yusniel Diaz, who was one of the Cuban, it seems like many, many Cuban defectors they signed last year. Um, so even well beyond, you know, they might have three guys who jump on the list pretty quickly when we have guys start to graduate to the big leagues. Uh, just a tremendous farm system invested a, a lot of money internationally last year, and you could see that on this list with guys like 
Yusniel Diaz and Yadier Alvarez and Ronnie Brito and Starling Heredia and Omar Estevez and and even though they didn't sign their first round, one of their first round picks last year, Kyle Funkhauser, and the other one had had Tommy John surgery and Walker Bueller. They they had some productive guys out of the draft, namely Walker Bueller and uh, Willie Calhoun at, at second base. They like Brendan Davis, another infielder. I could go on and on about this system. I mean, they've got the best uh, one-two punch and Seager and Urias both rank in the top five on the couple hundred list, and the depth on this list just goes on and on and on and on. Jonathan, when you when you look at the Dodgers and what they've done, have they been able to use their financial advantage more so here than even at the major league level to just be able to go out and spend a lot of money on the international market and to, and to build up this organization as a whole? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if more so, but I think what they've done is it's been a two-pronged uh, sort of effort, and, and, and it's smart. You know, I don't think anyone begrudges the team for using resources that they have, uh, but you know, we've seen often throughout the history of baseball where owners just spend money like crazy on free agents and, and things of that nature at the big league level, and, and maybe that works for a year, but then it, it kind of, in terms of prolonged long-term success, it, it just doesn't it doesn't fly, you know, and what the Dodgers have done, you know, is, is shown uh, a willingness and an understanding that, yes, you can spend money at the big league level, uh, but if you're not uh, expending resources to build up the farm system, uh, whether it's being aggressive in the draft or in, in particular with the Dodgers really being aggressive internationally, uh, then you're not going to be able to keep the prolonged success. You know, for all the free agents, you can go out and, 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 Fine, uh, it's great, but you know, Corey Seager is going to be the heart of this uh, of this organization. You know, at the big league level, uh, and he's homegrown. Julio Urias, international guy. You know, um, so uh, they, I think, they're going about it the right way in terms of okay, well, we have, you know, seemingly exponential uh, financial resources, but let's spread it out so that it actually can mean something in the long term. They also, I was just going to throw in, they did, and this is not why they ranked number one, but it just kind of shows how they're they're being very strategic about acquisitions. They made a couple of very nice, subtle moves last year to kind of, you know, add prospects uh, through money, but not just by directly paying for a player. I don't know if you guys remember, the last April, the Orioles, uh, I guess, outrighted uh or designated for Simon Ryan Webb, who had a $2.75 million salary, and the Dodgers basically took that salary off the Orioles' hands and you know, did a minor trade for him, took a, picked up his salary, and got a supplemental, uh, a second-round supplemental pick, a competitive balance lottery pick, the only pick that could be traded, and wound up drafting Josh Spores, who was the College World Series MVP out of Virginia. Uh, they actually may try to turn him into a starter. He could also move very quickly as a, as a reliever. So that was an interesting way to kind of get an extra second-round pick. And then the other thing they did is they spent so much money internationally, both on guys who don't count versus the pool and the pool, that they, you know, they blew way past their pool allotment. So they were going to have to pay a penalty tax on that. And so they traded all four – every team's international pool is determined by four international slots that – Lo and behold, if we get an international draft, we'll wind up being slot values for draft picks rather than the bonus pool. Anyway, that, that, those four, you, you get four picks or four slots that determine your total bonus pool. They trade those to other teams to use so those teams wouldn't exceed their pool. And they picked up Chase DeJong, 
uh, a right-hander, a command-oriented right-hander from the Blue Jays, uh, who made their top 30. And then two guys who just missed making the top 30 list, they traded a pick to the Braves, or a slot to the Braves for right-hander Caleb Dirks and outfielder Jordan Perrybeck, both who just missed the top 30. So even though not only did they spend just – I lost track because they, they signed so many players and penalty tax, but the, the, the Dodgers committed more than $150 million to international players last year, some of which went off their books when they traded Hector Oliveras to the Braves. But when they realized that you know there's no point in us even trying to stay on our international budget because we're not going to be close – they turned their four slots into three interesting prospects, uh, which I thought was a, a very interesting uh, way to maneuver. Thinking outside the box, certainly. All right, so we've gone through the top ten organizations, guys. I just want each of you put you on the spot a little bit here, but to, to pick a team that you think makes the leap into this top ten maybe next time around, a team that, that's building and, and you think is ready to, to jump into that top third as far as organizations go. I'll start with you, Jonathan. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go with the uh, the team that I visited in my first stop during my Arizona swing in Goodyear, and it's the Cleveland Indians. Um, you know, I, they are definitely on my short list of sort of up and coming systems in terms of moving on on their way up. Uh, you know, uh, they've got a pair of really interesting um, outfielders at the very top, and in, in Bradley Zimmer and uh, Clint Frazier. Uh, and then it kind of goes on from there with uh, Bobby Bradley uh, had you know led the Midwest League in homers. One of the things uh, that I pointed out in my spring training report I did on on them is just that they have kind of uh, shifted their gears in terms of drafting and going for more high upside talent. And yeah, there's risk there, uh, but they spent a lot of years being very conservative. So you know, behind Bradley, then the Brady Aiken, we all know about him. Justice Sheffield did a Really great first year, and then in the last year's draft, uh, you know Tristan McKenzie and Juan Hillman, uh, both both from that from that draft, high upside high school guys uh, who they drafted along with um, along with, with with Brady Aiken. And obviously, we have to see what happens. But I mean, all these guys could take steps forward, and I think that this is uh, an organization that you know they don't all have to take huge steps forward, even if some of them do, given the the sort of high upside and how young. Some of them are. Uh, I think we'll be talking about the Indians as a as a top ten farm system in the near future. How about you, Jim? Well, I, you know me. I have to throw out two teams because that's just the way I roll. Uh, it, it, Cubs, who just missed making our list, I don't think they're going to have as many promotions to the big leagues this year. Um, and I do think they have some up and coming pitching that's going to make their their still strong collection of of hitting talent. Uh, when when pitchers like Dylan Cease and Oscar De La Cruz take a, a step forward in 2016. I think they're going to jump up, but I think the team that might even have an easier chance jumping up into that top ten would be the Reds. Uh, the Reds didn't miss making our, our, our current top ten by much either. Um, they have, obviously, a, farm system, a strong farm system with guys like Jesse Winker, Robert Stevenson, Cody Reed, Amir Garrett, et cetera, et cetera. I also think they have some guys who could take a, a big step forward this year. Last year's first-round pick, Tyler Stevenson, uh, we might be looking at him as one of the very best catching prospects in the minors, maybe the best catching prospect in the minors by the end of this year, depending on, on other guys who might get promoted. Um, the, the, the criminally underrated rookie Davis, I, I feel like I have to mention him every podcast, uh, You know, came over in a trade from the Yankees. You know, Jay Bruce almost got traded and still could. I think they're going to still look to trade veterans and add prospects that way. Plus, with the draft, they're in a great position to add a ton of talent. They have the largest draft pool right now, about 13.9 
million dollars. They're going to have a lot of international money too. Um, they have uh, Johnson. It's the name escapes the shortstop that they are rumored to have the six million dollar deal with, but it's not official now. He's going to wait until July two, so yes. they can go nuts. They have a, a slick fielding shortstop. Is it Rodriguez? Yes, their their version of A Rod. Their their version Alfredo of A Rod. What, what's the first name? Is it? It's not Alfredo. Alfredo. Yeah, Alfredo. I, I was going to say Ariel, and that didn't sound quite right. But, you know, the, the, he's going to join the full. So I think that the Reds are in a position between trades and the draft internationally to maybe bring in more blue-chip newcomers than just about anybody else in baseball, and they aren't that far outside the top ten right now as it stands. All right. This has been a lot of fun, guys. The top ten out, obviously, much more information about it on MLBPipeline.com. Also, the top 30 prospects for all 30 teams. You can check them out there as well. Uh, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, thanks so much for all the information.